0: Thanks to Melanie and Charmaine for that beautiful music and sharing their hearts about some of the amazing programs that are possible because we're working together as a larger church family. I think we're living in a time when a lot of people are languishing. It's actually a thing, languishing. Feel free to look it up. Psychologists describe languishing as simply the absence of feeling good about your life, It is an emptiness or lack of emotion. And I think it's fair to say it might be the dominant emotion of 2021. The pandemic is affecting our mental health too. So today I felt it to be appropriate to point out to you some things from the book of Philippians about joy. If the dominant emotion of 2021 is no emotion or the absence of feeling good, then I think it'd be helpful for us to listen to these ancient and inspired words about joy from the book of Philippians. Obviously, joy is a recurring theme in the book of Philippians. The Apostle Paul says many times, rejoice, enjoy, be joyful, or variations of that. I encourage you, it's a great study to read through the book of Philippians and underline the word joy or the variations of that word. You'll find it all throughout the book. Today, I just want to focus on chapter three, but I encourage you to read the whole book. It's quite a short book, but it's quite an encouraging book. I begin in the text at Philippians 3, verse 1, where it says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. I find the word safeguard to be very interesting. In this passage, Paul says there are certain safeguards for protecting your joy and your passion as a follower of Jesus. In other words, he's saying you need to protect your joy because it can quite easily be lost. I think we all know that, am I right? We all know people where that has happened to them. I have to say, Christians of all people have the most reason to be joyful. Even on life's most stressful situations. If you think about it, when Paul writes this he's in prison. So from prison he writes be joyful. It is likely that Paul was in prison in Rome when he wrote this and they think they know the prison that Paul was in because there's only one known prison in Rome and they've excavated that site. Kim and I, we were in Rome a couple years ago and we saw that prison. It's just a very bleak, large hole in the ground with a shackle in the floor of of that hole with a roof that gets closed over the top of it. So you can say with certainty that Paul is not talking about getting your joy from your circumstances because he's in a hole in the ground and he writes about joy. So that means you can be laid off and still have your joy. You can be in a bad relationship or in a bad financial situation and still have your joy. You can be in a pandemic and still have your joy. Because what Paul is talking about obviously has nothing to do with your circumstances. Here in chapter three, Paul mentions three things that will take the joy out of your life. Number one, legalism will rob you of your joy. Legalism is a joy killer. It destroys joy in the Christian life more than anything else I've seen. I was a pastor for more than 30 years, and I've seen more believers ruined by legalism than anything else. It can ruin people, it can ruin families, and it can even ruin churches. You might say, well, Todd, what is legalism? Well, legalism is simply substituting rules and rituals for my relationship with God. It's a very subtle trap because it subtly takes the focus off of what God has done for you and it slowly puts your focus on what you are doing for God. That is legalism. So when you get the focus off what God has done for me, that's grace. And you start focusing on what I'm doing for God, that's legalism. When you're first saved, the reason you have so much joy is you just love Jesus and you don't know all the rules. Augustine once said, love God with all your heart and do what you please. Seems like a funny thing for a theologian to say, but he said he believed that if you love God with all your heart, you're not going to do something unpleasing to the Lord. You're not going to break his commandments. You know, when you get saved, you're full of joy and you start serving the Lord and you're excited and enthusiastic. And then along comes a legalist. And the legalist says, now to be a good Christian, you've got to do, and they have a list. The only problem is that every legalist has a different list. So you start adding this list to that list, and pretty soon you've got 459 ways to be a good Christian. And you can't do it, and you can't keep up with it all, and you get overwhelmed, and it gets depressing because the love you had gets replaced with all these rules you need to keep. This is not a new problem. In the New Testament times, they had this problem too. There's a group of people called the Judaizers. You can think of them as the original legalists. So they were the people who came along who said, believe in Jesus as your Messiah, as your Lord and Savior, but you also have to keep these rules. And their concern were the Jewish kosher rules circumcision, the Sabbath, those kinds of things. So they said you must keep all the Jewish rules in addition to serving Christ out of love. Paul couldn't stand the Judaizers. In fact, that's why they tried to get him killed. And in these passages, he doesn't mince his words. He's not trying to be polite or politically correct. He's not being very Canadian-like. In the text, it says in Philippians 3, verse 2 and 3, he says, Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Notice his anger. He says, watch out for those dogs. What a thing to say. I have a dog, Stella, and she's so cute and cuddly. But that's not what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about cute, cuddly pets. To call a person a dog is kind of the worst term you could use of them because dogs... In those times, they were dangerous wild scavengers. He goes on and he says, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. So Paul says, they're dogs because they were telling people you have to be circumcised to be saved. So the first safeguard is this. If you want to keep your joy, live each day by grace. Grace is the key to joy. Grace simply means I don't have to earn God's love. And I don't have to earn his approval. And I don't have to earn a pat on the back from him. Because God is always in love with you. Because you deserve it, not a chance. Because you or I keep certain rules and regulations, not a chance. Why is God always in love with me? Because I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's grace. I can't make God stop loving me because I didn't make him start loving me. I just accepted his love and what Christ did for me. Someone once said that every religion in the world, except Christianity, can be described with one word. It's the word do. Do this and do that and do the other thing. Christianity, however, is described by a different word. It's the word done. Not do, but done. Because it's what Christ has done for you. The problem is that when you're a Christian, you start off serving God and you suddenly start shifting from that grace perspective to the perspective of this is what I'm doing for God, as if I'm earning God's approval by my lifestyle. Listen, that's wrong. God won't love you anymore whether you serve him or not. What you get out of service is joy. What you get out of service is reward in heaven. You don't get approval from God. God approves of you already, not because of what you do. He approves of you because of what Christ has done for you. That's grace. Here in our text in Philippians, Paul describes his former life, and he says, I know about legalism. In the text of verse 4, it says, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul is saying, I was a superstar legalist. Nobody's going to taught me on keeping the law. In fact, as you read through this passage in verses 5 and 6, Paul gives examples of how he was a legalistic person. He talks about rituals. Paul says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. Today, we have all of our own rituals, baptism, membership, communion, all good things, but they don't earn approval with God. Paul talks about race. Paul says, of the people of Israel, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. He's saying, I've got the royal pedigree. He talks about religion. Paul says, I was a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. He talks about rules. Paul says, I was a member of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the spiritually elite. They were like the green berets of Judaism. They took the Ten Commandments and they Add 613 commandments. They took 10 and they turned, add 613 more commandments to it. So they would not eat an egg that had been laid on the Sabbath because that was considered work by the hen. They would not scratch a mosquito bite on the Sabbath because that was considered work. They believed that a person could not look in the mirror on the Sabbath and pull a gray hair because that would be considered work. We're talking picky. So Paul's saying, you want to talk about rules? I know rules. I went to Israel last year, and we stayed in a hotel that had, I think, about 15 stories. On the Sabbath, to my surprise, the elevator automatically stops at every floor. Why? Because the Pharisees, to this day, believe you shouldn't push a button That would be work. So it automatically stops at every floor so you don't have to push the button to get off at your floor. I found that very annoying. Paul talks about reputation. He says about himself, I obeyed the law without fault. He says, I was a superstar legalist. Whatever you say about obeying God, Paul can say, "Being there, done that. Here's what he's talking about. He's talking about good things done for the wrong reason. Nothing wrong with these things. The problem is when you start thinking, they give you points with God and they don't because God loves you unconditionally. If you start trusting in these things, you're gonna lose your joy. Elsewhere, Paul wrote in Romans 14, 17, he says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I'll just add this. There are two threats to keeping your joy in terms of your theology. One is legalism that we're talking about. The other is liberalism. Liberalism is the idea that you can't trust the Bible. The church has always been concerned about liberalism, but in my opinion, not nearly concerned enough about legalism. Number two in our passage, Paul says, distractions will rob you of your joy. A lot of people are looking for joy in the wrong places. And I think Paul would say to us, beware of all the second-rate options, and there are many. The text says in verses 7 and 8, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ. This is Paul's P&L statement. This is Paul's profit and loss statement. You have a business, you know what a P&L statement is. And he says, whatever was profit, I now consider loss. Whatever was valuable, I now consider worthless. It's all a loss compared to the greatness of knowing Christ for whose sake I've lost all things. Paul says, all those things I've just listed, all those things I was proud of, they're worth a zip. Nothing at all. They all add up to one big zero. Zero. The NIV translation that we're reading here says, I consider it all garbage. The translators actually are being polite. The word isn't garbage. The word is dung or manure, animal excrement. He's saying, these things I was proud proud of, they aren't worth dung. That's the Greek word. And you can add, in any word that you translate as dung, he's saying, it's not garbage. It's worse than garbage. All that stuff I counted important is dog crap. He's not mincing words here because he doesn't want you to lose your joy. I thought, (laughs) I don't look at it that way. I don't go home at night and look at my house and go, yeah, that house is just dog crap. Or my TV or my stereo or my sports and say, yeah, that stuff is just dog crap. But Paul says compared to knowing Christ, It is that worthless, it is dumb. So the second safeguard to your faith is this. Don't get distracted. Don't lose your joy over things that aren't important. I once read a book called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff and it's all small stuff. There are a lot of things that cause you to lose your joy in the Christian life. People don't do what you want them to do. They don't show up when you want them to show up. They don't help when you want them to help. They'll let you down. All kinds of different things happen. But what Paul's saying here is what matters is not your pedigree and not your prestige and not your position and not your possessions. You can have all those things and still be unhappy. Jesus warned us about this. He said in Luke 12, 15, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. All those things you might think are profit, they're just loss. All those things you might think are cool, they don't really matter. So if you want joy in your Christian life, you really have to make a choice here because you can't live for two things at the same time. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. We used to say when I was a kid, you can't dance to two different bands. You can't do it. You've got to decide. What's gonna be number one in my life? A lot of people want Jesus plus. I want to serve the Lord, but I also want to have, but Paul says, I gave up all these things in order to gain Christ. The second greatest reason why people don't have joy in the Christian life, why they get that slow leak, that first, the first is legalism, but the second reason is distractions. They're afraid of what they're going to have to give up in order to live for Christ. I won't beat them around the bush today. When you come to Christ, you give up everything you got, but then you've never had it so good, because he takes what you've given to him and he... He reforms it and reshapes it, and he adds new meaning to it, and he gives it back to you in a new way. Jim Elliot, the missionary who was martyred by the indigenous people of Ecuador, said, he is no fool to give up that which he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. So what are you afraid to give up? What has become a distraction away from Jesus for you? Number three from our text Apathy will rob you of your joy. Paul had answered one of the most fundamental questions of life What is going to be my center? You have a lot of choices in Canada. It can be your career, your family, your vacations, your home, sports, all kinds of things, lots of choices. We can only have one center. So, listen to what he says in this text. Very important and famous verse, verse 10. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul settled that question. Jesus was his center. Paul says the most important thing in life is to know Christ. Listen, there's a big difference between knowing about and knowing someone. Like, I know about Taylor Swift because I hear about her all the time at my house because I raised two daughters. I know a bunch of things, what she liked, a bunch of things she didn't like. I know way more than I wish I knew. But the point is, I don't really know Taylor Swift i only know about her i know my wife it's an intimate thing there's a relationship there that we've invested in and built together there's a big difference from knowing about a person and knowing a person i just ask you how well do you know jesus not know about him more than that know him so the third safeguard to maintaining your joy is develop intimacy with Christ. In other words, never stop growing and developing your relationship to Christ. I remember hearing the story about a little boy who fell out of bed. His mother came in and said, what happened, Tommy? He said, I guess I stayed too near where I got in. That's the problem with a lot of Christians. They get in the family of God, but they stay too near where they got in. They don't go any deeper. They haven't grown in knowing God, and their joy has faded. The truth of the matter is, you don't get to know Christ by accident. You don't just wake up one morning and sort of accidentally fall into knowing Jesus better. It's got to be a determined purpose. It's something you have to do something about. You have to invest Your time in it It's not an accident It requires intentionality You don't grow a relationship Without investing time in a relationship This is good marriage advice And it's good spiritual advice too It's really true in everything we do It needs to be intentional And purposeful And progressive I was thinking about Paul He says, My number one ambition in life is to start churches. No, he doesn't say that. To get rewards in heaven. No, he doesn't say that. To win people to Christ. No. He says, My number one purpose in life is to know Christ. You might be thinking, Well, doesn't he know him? Of course he does. But he wants to know him better. He never stopped hungering for God, never stopped growing. It's one of the most amazing verses in the Bible. Because it's written by a guy who wrote most in the New Testament. Paul's an older man, he's elderly, he's in prison in Rome. He's at the latter end of his life. He's an incredibly committed follower of Jesus. Yet he says, I want to know Christ more. If anybody had the right to say, I've arrived spiritually, I would think it'd be the guy who wrote most of the New Testament. But Paul says, no, I haven't arrived. I'm up in years. I'm up in age, but I'm still growing. I'm still learning. I'm still becoming more like Christ. I'm not just sitting on my blessed assurance and waiting out the end of my life. I want to know Christ more, even in his sufferings. Let me ask you a question. You can just answer it in your own heart, wherever you're listening from. Have you been losing your joy as a Christian? As a pastor for 30 years, I saw this happen all the time. If so, which of these three is at fault? Have you fallen into the trap of legalism? Have you substituted rules and rituals and regulations for a relationship with God? Have you substituted churchianity for Christianity? How about the second one? Have you become distracted? There are more distractions in the time we live than any other time in the history of the world. How about the third one? Do you really want to know Christ? Is that the number one thing? Or have you become apathetic because you've been around it so long? Are you willing today to say what Paul said? I want to know Christ, even in his sufferings. C.T. Studd was the highest-paid professional athlete in England in his time. He left it. He gave it all up to become a missionary. He said, if Jesus Christ is God and he died for me, then no sacrifice that I make for him could be too great.